is Our American Stories, and we love to share stories of random acts of kindness that are being done all across this country. And one of our producers, Faith, recently spoke with Dave Cutlip, the owner of Southside Tattoo Shop in Maryland. However, this is no ordinary tattoo shop. Take it away, Faith. We have all made mistakes. Some are big and some are small. But most of our mistakes people don't know about. But for some, everyone can see. Especially when they are tattooed on their body. People change and thankfully they can change for the better. But not everyone can get there by themselves. Those with gang and racist related tattoos find themselves ostracized from society. However, in comes Redemption Inc., a nonprofit organization that is helping people start over. They do this by removing gang related and racist tattoos for free, and there's no catch. Here is Dave Cutlip, owner of Southside Tattoo Shop in Brooklyn Park, Maryland, explaining how it all got started. I helped start it. I'm not going to take all the credit for it because um, it was probably more my wife, to be honest with you. And what had happened was a guy came in and he had tattoos on his face and he asked if we could uh, help him get rid of them. And uh, he was will and he was willing to pay, you know. But what I told him was I could cover that tattoo, but it would be covered with something bigger and and it's not going to do what you want it to do and so we discussed lasers but the bottom line was i really could see the hurt you know that this guy was going through because he had done this you know gotten these tattoos and that he needed he just wanted to uh do his job and not have people follow him or you know and and i could see that and so my wife kind of looked at me and said you know you can help people and so we made the post and this post that we made i think that was on january something it was mid-january um and we basically said if you have hate or uh racist tattoos gang or racist tattoos that we will you know help you remove them no questions asked cover them up whatever and it went viral and to the point where like I had to turn off notifications on my phone so did my wife my wife she didn't even know what viral meant she was just like what's going on you know and I was explaining to her I said hey this thing you you know the post you just did is going viral and she thought she was like how did I get a virus you know like she didn't even know what viral was so they needed some help once that happened I'd say, you know, we probably got 1,000 inquiries to uh, get help. Then we saw that that there was a need, and we started Redemption, Inc. Um, We had someone help us build the website, and I had to actually get somebody to help me answer emails and phone calls and stuff because uh, there were so many of them. At first, we called it Random Acts of Tattoo, she kind of shortened it, you know, to Redemption Inc. because it was it's less to say than random acts of tattoo, if that makes sense. That's what we decided to do and name it, and um, it just and, and then that took off actually. This random act of kindness is changing people's lives, giving them greater opportunity to face life without judgment from those around them. 
What is usually their demeanor as they come in to ask for this? You know, the bottom line is everybody's been extremely appreciative. That that much I can definitely say. You know, how they're feeling or, like, a lot of them are, are, are scared because, number one, they're, they're going to get tattooed. Number two, they don't really know me. And a few of them even traveled from far away so far. And, so, and by the way, so far I've helped, personally helped 22 people. I try to do at least one a week, sometimes two. Yeah, they're, at first they're a little scared, but then once I get them, you know, in my chair, I talk to them like people, and, and you know, I, I get to hear the story behind it. And most of them were, I would have to say, you know, ashamed that they did it, but they also felt that they had to do it because of circumstances, either economic or, you know, physical, whatever that's going on in their life. And I can give you an example, like somebody maybe getting in trouble with drugs, ending up in jail, and to protect themselves, they need to either, most of them, join a gang. And most of them, they were white supremacist gangs. It, the sad thing about jail is that, you know, you're segregated to begin with. It's definitely segregated. And if you're not with somebody, you're usually, you know, a victim. And who wants to live life as a victim? When these people have come to you and you provide this service, are you able to keep up with them and what happens afterwards? Yeah, it's a couple of them. Yeah, sure. A, a couple of them have, you know, continued to call or email and, and you know, they tell us, you know, how good things are going for them. And, you know, I have a whole door full of thank you notes and, and just kind letters from people that, that appreciate what I'm doing. And, and it does, it definitely makes me feel good. I've actually never done a gang or racist tattoo in 20-something years of tattooing. You know, people people do feel that they have to, I guess, and so, you know, me helping them, that's a good thing. They need my help. Someone's got to do it. You know, I have something that I can give somebody, and so, you know, be, doing that definitely makes me feel good. I, like, I definitely don't have to do it, but I feel like I need to do it because nobody else is doing it. Of course, getting a sketchy tattoo removed can be embarrassing. You know, when they come in my shop, the first thing that we do is we make them feel comfortable. And, and we tell them, hey, like, make yourself comfortable. You need something to drink. Like, you're, like, I don't care that he has a swastika or whatever they have. That's not, we're here to, you know, fix that situation. And, and for example, if some, you know, I've had a few media if they don't want to be involved in that, then I, my first priority is definitely their safety. And when we come back, more of Dave Cutlip's story here on Our American Stories. And again, if you have a random act of kindness story, and by the way, this is not a big story. He's not changing the world, but he's changing the world for already 22 people. And boy, that's a game changer for those people who made a mistake and maybe thought it was unreversible. And it is. Send your stories to us. Send them to OurAmericanNetwork.org, and we'll try and get them on the air. When we come back, more of Dave's story here on Our American Stories.
This is Our American Stories. We've been listening to Faith's conversation with Dave Cutlip, a tattoo shop owner who removes gang and racist-related tattoos for free. And we pick up with Dave talking about the people who come to receive his service and how he tries to make them as comfortable as possible and that his first priority is their safety. A lot of these gangs are even racist people. They're, they get mad when people quit, and, and it really is true. You know, blood in, blood out. Like A lot of these people, they can't just, you know, you can't just wake up one morning and say, I don't feel like doing this anymore. It doesn't work that way. They can get hurt, so we definitely try and protect them. We don't tell people, you know, we don't announce, hey, covering up a big swastika tattoo today. You know what I mean? Like, like we don't do that. So that they come, when they do come here, they don't know any of us, but we make sure that, hey, we're here. Here's my hand. Sadly, tattoos can also be used to mark people as property. So far, most of the people that I've helped, I would say 80% of them were, you know, in jail. The other people, um, and it's usually like, say, like a woman or something, and they got involved with a guy that was involved in white supremacy type stunts and you know they those guys kind of i guess it's a a a big deal to tag somebody you know or i I, it it never made sense to me like you know if you have a girlfriend or a dog or (laughs) you know like you don't tattoo them and say property up like nobody should be property of anybody and and you know these people get these tattoos because they feel like they need to you know, it's almost out of a, a necessity or, or even scare because they, you know, if they say no, that this, then this person might not like them anymore. You know, people want to be accepted. Everybody wants to be accepted. Maybe, and I talk to them when, when we're tattooing, so I get it out of them. And they, uh, so far, everybody's, you know, felt really bad about what they've done or felt, you know, the shame of, of uh, even, hating somebody you know and and i think that's a cool thing and i'm sorry that they feel that way but it's cool that they they do you know i'm there to witness and and realize hey i made a mistake more of us could use to admit that we have made mistakes these folks are honest about how they have felt bad for what they've done or how they felt towards others but also honest about their desire to change and many of the stories are actually very similar I mean, <laughs> to be honest with you, the sad thing is they're all like they're all, you know, pretty much the same, and and you know they either went to jail or with or was with somebody, and um, you know, of course, part of the thing was I didn't want them, you know, if they want to tell me, then they can, but we don't. I don't make anybody say anything, you know, because they've already been judged enough. I have. So far, seeing a couple of the people that I've tattooed moved on, and, and you know, they get one guy got a job that he was trying to get but couldn't because he had white power on his arms. And one of the kids, Brandon, that I tattooed, he's engaged now and getting ready to get married. And, and you know, he uh, he he actually was a, a really cool guy to tattoo. It was really fun. He, he traveled a little bit to. Uh, come see us but 
He was extremely, actually, I think he traveled from New York City, but he was extremely nice. And, and you know, when he talked to some of the media people, he, he explained how he felt the shame of, of having to do what he had to do. But if he didn't do that, you know, it was more being a victim again. And, and again, who wants to be a victim? And these people are truly making attempts to change. But unfortunately, not everyone is so convinced. It's all been uh, pretty fun, and, and um, everybody's been extremely appreciative. I do not believe that one person so far that I've helped uh, did not actually change. You know what I mean? Like, like when I'm talking to them, I can tell that that you know they're about moving on and, and going to school or just moving on with their lives. And so you were shocked by all of the media attention, weren't you? Absolutely. I had no clue that it was going to happen that way. Uh, it just, wow. <laughs> like even the, the stuff going viral. And then, you know, I had to actually even stop like looking at some of the comments that some of the people were saying because, you know, not everybody... The sad thing is whenever you do something to help somebody, there's always going to be somebody that says, hey, that these people made a mistake and they don't deserve help. It's sad that, that these people believe them. I didn't want to see those things, so I had to separate myself from it. It's kind of sad. You know, in my mind, forgiving somebody is, is more important, you know, to, and, and I don't understand why somebody wouldn't want to forgive somebody, especially if they haven't hurt you or anybody you know or, you know, why wouldn't you forgive this guy? Why can't he get a good job? Or, you know, why doesn't he deserve to have a, a, a wife and kids and, you know, just because he made a mistake 10 years ago? Have there been times where you've gotten emotional when helping someone? It hasn't been, like, emotional, like, helping somebody. It's usually... What happened basically was the media, some, some media station was asking me some questions. It, one of the questions, it, it kind of got to me and, and you know, and it, it kind of gave me a wow moment. Well, you're changing lives. You know, <laughs> I'd like to say that I'm not changing lives. I'm just changing tattoos because, uh, like, these people... These people, they, they've already done the work, you know what I mean? Like, I, I shouldn't be getting credit for the, what the, the work that these people put in. I kind of feel that what I'm doing is the last step, you know, it, it's the last little piece of chain that's keeping them down. If we cover that tattoo up, send them on their way, they've already made the changes. They've already done, you know, put the work in. So I'm just, you know, helping them remove obstacles let's just say that I, I i'm comfortable with that <laughs> i help them remove obstacles they I, I believe that the people that uh and i truly really believe that that they've already done what they needed to do i didn't help them change they did it themselves I, i've tried to stay as humble as i possibly can like you know i have had people come up to me and you know, like, oh, my God, you're the guy on Facebook or whatever, you know, and, and it, it does, you know, it puts a smile to my face. But like I said, you know, I'm just the last guy. I'm just the last guy in line. And for some reason, I got picked. You know what I mean? Like, like <laughs> I got picked to be that guy that is, so to speak, helping people. And, and 
when in fact they've done the work already. But someone has to do it. I got to say that someone has to do it. Have you guys expanded? Are there other places doing this? Are you trying to get other places involved? Yes, actually, yes to all those. Um, when we made the website, we actually got a few other people, you know, that, that would call us up. And um, in fact, on the website, there's a spot where you can actually sign up to help. Say you're a tattoo artist or a laser uh, operator in, in a state. Like, if you want to help us, like, we definitely need the help. We definitely appreciate, uh, the, you know, the 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 assistance. Uh, another thing that we do also is we check these people out. And, and not saying that I'm better than somebody else. I kind of believe that, like, for example, if someone in Indiana needs help, well, of course, that's, you know, pretty far away from Maryland. And, you know, they're not going to come here. But if I have somebody in, in Indiana that can help them, then I'll send them to them. But I also want to be able, you know, to feel good in my head that this person is, hey, number one, you know, going to be give them a good service. So we actually look, look at their websites, look at their work, and, hey, if I'll get tattooed by this person, then I'll let somebody else. We take a look at things like that to make sure that people are going to be safe. We could all use to learn from Dave, his wife, and all those helping with Redemption, Inc. Whether that be through tattoo service, donation, or simply learning to forgive and not judge those around us. This is Faith Garcia from Our American Stories. And thanks for that story, and thank you, Dave, for what you're doing. By the way, anyone listening who wants to help out Dave... And help people out who just made a really bad decision at some point in their life or just a really practical one, especially guys, inmates. My goodness, you got to choose sometimes. Not in a gang, you're going to get beat. You got to pick one. Redemptioninc.org is where you go. Redemptioninc, and that's I-N-K.org. And to hear all that we do, go to OurAmericanNetwork.org. Dave Cutlip's story, Redemption Inc. story, here on Our American Stories. Look across the smiling lips that warm my heart and see my morning sun. And if that's not loving me, then all I gotta say. God didn't make little green apples It don't rain in Indianapolis in the summertime This is Lee Habib and this is Our American Stories And that was such a huge hit for O.C. Smith The whole country listened to this song Old, young, and what a voice 
And what a song. And we're talking about O.C. Smith because, well, every day when we're doing our show pitches and we're gathering around to talk about what we're going to talk about and what segments we're going to do, well, it always goes to food at some point or another. And Hengler's our resident foodie, and he's just, well, he's hung up about so many things, but apples in particular. So this is our off mic. Segment of the day. Hansen uh, talks to no, me about ratios the, are everything. It is. Burgers. She talks to everything. me about the ratios of burgers because we just moved here from Southern California, yeah. and all she did in Southern California was eat In-N-Out burger. Nothing else. It's a nice skinny burger. Nothing else to eat. That's nice the best burger. burger, right? And so she came here and was like, "Oh, steak and shake. It's just like In-N-Out." No. And she says <laughs> there is nothing because their ratios, the bun to the burger, and everything is. Perfect. It is perfect. And she, and she said the steak and shake doesn't come even close. No, it's too thin. It's too thin. But by the way, Crystal's really perfect too. It has really thin mm. buns and really mm. thin beef. And then it has just the right amount of pickle to burger ratio. And then just the right amount of onion. It, it, it's really, wow. it's really You're good have ratios. A it's burger. why it's good. Except you, you they copied have, it. Yeah. It's not even their That's ratio. Okay. You can I'll have a thick burger, but it's got to be properly seasoned like a meatloaf almost. Well, that's true too. Otherwise, you're going to have like this fleshy tone in your mouth that just kind of... Covering up all the rest of the burger, mm. but the ratios. I'm telling you, for peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, you can. This is why you cannot have someone else make a peanut That's butter true. and jelly sandwich yeah. for you because mm. they'll get the ratio wrong. It's true, and well, it's not just the peanut butter to jelly ratio; it's the bread to the peanut butter and jelly <laughs> ratio itself. You can't have too much peanut butter and too much jelly as long as there's the exact amount of peanut butter and jelly. Yeah, but what if the, what if you have a so lot much of peanut butter and, and jelly a lot that of jelly. it overwhelms the bread? Oh, there's nothing wrong with that. I like no, that. So you don't matter. You you just cr- stack that up. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's also the matter of crunchy or soft peanut butter. I mean, See, crunchy is... Well, I want to understand something. So let's take the burger ratio. Right. So you wouldn't mind having like one of those burgers with like a pound of beef. No, that's disgusting. Little, I like that's a too thin much burger, burger just, for bread, right? Yeah, we're talking about maybe like a quarter inch, maybe a half inch of a thick of so a burger. So what's the maximum amount of like meat you'll take on a burger? No, I, I can't stand it when people have like more than one patty of meat. That's right. disgusting. Unless it's a Big Mac. Big Mac is a different story because it's so thin, and they sneak it in there with a special sauce. You can't really tell that there's two patties. That's true. <laughs> you can't really tell. Well, and also, don't they have that one sandwich where they put the bread in the middle, so there's actually three pieces of bread? Yeah, two yeah there's more yeah, bread. That's yeah. right. Yeah. But the Whopper, on the other hand, I mean, that's a pretty thick piece of meat, but it's still only about a quarter inch thick, and right. it's charboiled, which helps with the flavor. So you're not just eating this this fleshy kind of unseasoned meat. There's actually some flavor there. But you don't like those fancy restaurants that go, hey, we got like a half. Oh yeah, and it's like it's bun. as thick as yeah, my it's just cell phone with a case in half. Yeah, no, mm-hmm. that's disgusting. You want you want uh, you want thin. All right, we yeah. settled this. We settled this. Well, ratio, yeah, ratios are everything. I'm just talking to you about the peanut butter on my apples. Yeah, like even my kids, they're three, four, five years old, and I have to put the correct amount on there, and I understand. Yeah. Like if you have a big glob of peanut butter on your thinly sliced apple. It just overwhelms it, which yeah. goes back to what we were talking about yeah. with Chipotle's burritos. Those darn guacamole that they put on gets there. Back to Chipotle. If yeah. they just put a decent <laughs> amount on and not charge you for it, we'd be in, in heaven. Yeah, yeah. The most important ratio, though, with peanut butter and jelly sandwiches is how much milk you have. No doubt. It's very You have important. to have a full glass of milk. And if there's milk left over, I mean, then your wife's going to yell at you because you put the glass of milk back in the fridge. There's like that much in there. But the kids will come through and drink it. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. And by the way, there's something <laughs> or evil. The people who leave right. this much of anything in anything oh, should yeah, be shot. Unacceptable. They should be shot. <laughs> yeah. And we know who they are in every household. Because yeah. that's me, by the way. My <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> no, and it goes that way with apples, too. Nobody knows how to properly eat an apple. They, <laughs> they, 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 they eat it. And they leave so much on there, and I'm like, bah! You know, yeah. it's just like, it, it drives me crazy. Apple. I've gotten to the point now where I'm in my car, or, or like if I'm somewhere and I don't have anywhere to put the leftover piece, I eat the whole thing with the stem. I don't care. 
It's like I'm just going to eat it all. I don't care what kind of poison they say are in that in the seeds of the apple. I'm going to eat it all. Arsenic, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't care. I, I like <laughs> discarding my my, uh, my apple cores and my banana <laughs> peels because then I can like show my kids when it's okay to litter. Just throw that stuff anywhere you want to. It's okay. It's, oh, yeah. it's biodegradable. Why is there an apple in front? There's of you? an apple in front of you because we're going to do the test. I talked to you guys about the, the test? best. This the is the test. This is a test. This is an apple. I'm not even test. sure you still did the dude wife's test, did you? No, I did. Well, I did. First, did you first know? of all, I don't oh, know if it's necessarily okay. a test because I've already, I've tried everything, and this is the best apple you've ever had. This, this apple? is called an envy apple. This is mm. actually better than that Brayburn I was telling you about. Oh, it smells good. Yeah, it's amazing. The it's envy got of the all perfect apples, huh? balance, everything in it. This apple will not be defeated by any other apple. Honestly, I can't tell much of a difference between this apple you and just, most. Yeah, it, you, maybe you just haven't worked up a, it's a, great a, apple. a refined palate, palate for it's apples. It's a perfect apple. And that's a great apple, i got to say. That's it's very sweet. Apple. It is. It's just got not a nice texture. too much of anything. Like the Grey Smith, it's just too sour. This has got a perfect balance of everything. Mm. Is there more money? It's well right now at the store it's two ninety nine a pound, but a couple of days ago it was a buck ninety nine. So you just got to stock up when it gets. So done. is this a food that you can just hmm. not stop eating? Is that your food? Because we all got yeah. food we can't stop eating. Oh yeah, yeah. This 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 one is is dangerous, especially because okay, I, I used to do almond butter, mm-hmm. but now I do sunflower seed butters because my daughter was allergic to peanuts for a while, so we just cut it out for a few years, and so we started to put in sunflower seed butter. And then so I started to eat it, and I'm like, wow, this is really good. And so now I've just completely switched over, and she's back to peanut butter. Can you eat so much that you get sick? Like when you eat that extra apple, when you go, <laughs> why did I do that to myself? You know what? I never, ever get sick uh, just the way I eat. But I get to a point where I feel a little like a little brick in the stomach. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it always happens from having too much apples and sunflower seed butter. Mm-hmm. Like, so you can never have too much. So, I mean, as far as like weight-wise, I'm trying to shed some pounds oh, myself. Yeah. But you can eat apples all day long, and the sugars aren't going to add up well, like see, a Yeah, exactly, because you, you guys had brought up the sugars in the apples. That right. Wow, that's a lot of sugar. Right. But the whole idea, and this is the whole reason why juicing is so ridiculous, is because that's going to make your insulin spike to heaven. Hmm. But if, as soon as you keep the fiber in your fruit and you don't extract it and make it juice, yeah, right. that fiber is going to help balance out and your insulin isn't going to go through the roof. And that's what makes you get overweight. That's what takes those carbs and throws them right into your stomach. Right. And so especially, too, because I'm putting the sunflower seed butter on it, that fiber is, is helping that, that, all that fat from the sunflower seed butter, too. And so yeah. it's just a really good... Well, good, and that's that's why I stay away from starches like yeah. pastas and potatoes because oh, that's yeah. going to shoot your insulin right through the <laughs> it's room. It's so hard to stay away from pasta, though. I mean, my wife makes this fettuccine that you could die for. I mean, it's what about rice though? Because I, I like jambalaya. Starch. Yeah, yeah, is that's bad. Just, that's pure. That's going to shoot. I oh. stay away from rice, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't discourage other people to stay away from it. I wouldn't discourage other people to. I would just. I would just try to lean them in the direction of like a sweet potato and even more. I would say if you could, if you can, yeah. completely switch over to butternut squash. Ugh, butternut squash disgusting. is amazing. Ugh. If you put a little brown sugar and stuff on there it. There was two foods I never had to eat as a child. One was peas and the other was squash. Oh, it's good. <laughs> Just, so I guess you have nothing to say about my, because you have the 12 apples. And when I'm sitting down yeah. with, a, with a really special assortment of crystal burgers, I, I like the first four or five. The first four or five I get through, I'm feeling fine. But it's that sixth and that seventh. Yep. But I have friends yeah. who can just plow through a dozen of those. A oh dozen yeah, of those. I could do that. Oh, we Talk drove by Crystal the other day, and Casey even said to me, "What's Crystal?" I'm oh like, no, don't go in. It's a knockoff you company. Go in. 
It's I haven't been in, in one of those places in a while. Very good. Yeah. Not so as good as what's, so what do you guys think? I mean, it's a very good apple. That's a great apple. I mean, I'm not, I, I <laughs> right. can't go hysterical <laughs> over the apple because so I'm excited. not an apple yeah. guy like Right, you. right, right. But it is, it's better than any other apple I've ever had. Yeah, it's incredible. No question. <laughs> one, one to ten? Probably a ten? We're accepting sponsors for Envy. <laughs> we'll do that. This yeah. is very good. <laughs> it is. Oh. Well, there you have it. Our off mic segment now you know what we're really obsessed about we could actually sometimes spend an hour talking about our last meal the meal we're about to have our favorite food and i know you love food too this is lee habib this is our american stories our off mic segment of the day and you can go to ouramericannetwork.org to hear all of this the silliness and the seriousness serious and the sublime more after this our American stories, and most of the time, we like to bring you sounds that are pleasing to the ear, stories about love and life and faith and redemption and forgiveness and American exceptionalism. And by the way, we love doing stories about music, but we also love doing stories about lists, top 10, whatever. We're going to do a bunch of them here in our American stories. And this one, well, Jesse brings us the top 10 annoying sounds in the world. Want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? Like many of the other living beings on Earth, we rely on our senses to function in the world. And even though we humans have the five major senses, there could be as many as 21. Nevertheless, the sense of sound is one of the major ones, and it helps us pick up on vibrations or oscillating pressure waves traveling through the medium, usually the air, and then converting them into something different called sound. This sense lets us listen to music, have verbal conversations, or even hear an incoming threat like a lion running through the underbrush towards us. The way these vibrations are turned into actual sound inside of our heads is quite amazing to say the least and so is the reason for why we find some of them pleasurable while others are truly annoying at number 10 let's start off this list with a particularly nasty one fingernails dragging on a chalkboard among the many other sounds that people find most annoying scratching one's fingernails on a piece of chalkboard is one of the worst but why why do we find this particular sound so hard to bear this question has apparently boggled some scientists minds as well back in 2011 they made a study on it First off, it turns out that the sound produced by nails on a chalkboard falls between the band of mid-range frequencies somewhere between 2 and 5,000 hertz. This frequency is actually enhanced by the human ear because of its shape. Number 9 of the most annoying sounds on the planet. Have you ever been around people who are chewing their food so loudly that you felt the urge to punch them? Ouch. If you haven't, then call yourself lucky. We're talking from experience here. And you've probably heard it too, but didn't notice. If that's the case, then you're part of the fortunate few who are not suffering from a mild form of misophonia. The mild reactions people have when they're exposed to these sounds are anxiety, disgust, feeling uncomfortable, and the urge to get away. But if the reactions are more severe, like with me, they can experience rage, anger, deep hatred, panic, a strong desire to kill that person, or even suicidal thoughts. Well, maybe I'm not that bad. What actually causes it, however, is still largely a mystery. But doctors believe it's part physical and part mental. It usually kicks in around the age of 9 to 13 and is more common in girls. But whether misophonia is an actual disorder or just a side effect of anxiety or OCD is still debated. In at number 8 for the most annoying sounds in the world, earworms. 
Have you ever found yourself singing the same tune in your head over and over like a broken record? Of course you have. Everyone has. And what's worse is that it's not even the whole song. It's just a small part of an endless repeating loop, right? These annoying little buggers are one is known as earworms and have been plaguing humanity for a very long time. The reasons for earworms are fairly complex, but do involve a combination of things like stress, altered emotional states, the mind wandering, and word memory association. That's why you start singing Bohemian Rhapsody in your head the moment you hear someone say the word mama. What's interesting about these earworms is that 90% of people experience them at least once a week, while a quarter of the population has it happen several times a day. And they oftentimes start when we're doing repetitive tasks, which don't need much of our attention. By the way, Bohemian Rhapsody is totally stuck in your head right now, isn't it? <laughs> Choruses make great earworms since they're usually what we remember from a song. And because we don't know the rest of it, we tend to repeat the chorus over and over and over again, trying to find an eventual end that doesn't really exist in our memory. Earworms can also be characterized as an involuntary auditory imagination to some degree. And in at number seven of the most annoying sounds in the world, there is a reason there almost always seems to be a baby crying on an airplane every time you're on one, or in one. It's because you're hardwired to hear them, no matter what. All of us are. And as it turns out, the sound of a baby crying captures our attention more so than any other sound in the world. In one study, it was revealed that the sound of a crying baby is immediately followed by an intense reaction in our brains, especially in the regions in charge of emotional processing, speech, the fight-or-flight response, as well as the reward centers for various senses. The reaction to this particular sound is so fast that the brain doesn't even have time to fully recognize it for what it is before it marks it as highly important. And what's even more interesting is the fact that immediately after hearing it, people get a boost in overall physical performance and reflexes, which might more easily facilitate caregiving behavior. So, when you're stuck on an airplane with a crying baby, you're involuntarily flung into alert mode. And since you're not the parent and you can't do anything about the crying, you become frustrated and irritated as a result. And in at number six of the most annoying sounds on the planet, the Vuvuzela. Coming into existence sometime around 1910, the Vuvuzela is the creation of Isaiah Shembi, the self-proclaimed prophet and founder of the Nazareth Baptist Church in South Africa. The instrument was originally made out of cane wood and later metal, used as a religious instrument played in harmony alongside African drums during church ceremonies. But as the numbers of the church followers grew, the Vuvuzela got around enough that by the 1980s it appeared during soccer matches in South Africa. By the 1990s, mass production of plastic Vuvuzelas flooded into the South American market to the point where they became an integral part of the choreography and general atmosphere of the sport in the country. Then, during the 2010 FIFA World Cup held in South Africa, the Vuvuzela spread like wildfire all around the globe. Besides being so loud that some spectators ended up suffering from temporary hearing loss, the sound made by so many Vuvuzelas, all played at different times and varying frequencies, is reminiscent of an unimaginably large swarm of angry wasps. In at number five on the most annoying sounds in the world is... Vomiting. Are you one of those people who starts feeling sick when you see someone else getting sick? Or for that matter, when you hear someone heaving or even when just talking about it? Well, if that's the case, then we have some good news and some bad news for you. Let's start with the bad news first. <laughs> there simply isn't anything you can do about it, period. Your brain is made this way and there's nothing you can do to change it. But here comes the good part. You are an empathetic person. You are what some people call a good friend or partner. Your brain has developed some mirror neurons which make you copy what others are doing or feeling around you. And because of these mirror neurons, 
Say that ten times fast. Believe it or not, this annoying thing of feeling sick when others around you are too might just save your life one day. Back in prehistoric times when people were living in tribes, if one or more of them were throwing up, it probably meant that they ate spoiled food or something poisoned. And it was quite possible that all of them did. So sympathy vomit might actually be a preemptive measure for expelling any potential poison even before its effects begin to kick in. At number four of the most annoying sounds in the world is people arguing. And the difference here is on where you, the observer, are situated in regards to the argument. If you're on your couch at home watching TV, it's quite entertaining to look at others fighting over whatever subject. It probably even makes you feel a tiny bit better about yourself while hiding behind the anonymity of the TV. But if you're in the kitchen and your roommates start arguing about whose turn it is to do the dishes or who left the toilet seat up, it's quite uncomfortable being there in the same room with them. Well, what am I supposed to do? Just sit here all day clean for you? Yeah, that's At number three of the most annoying sounds in the world. Oh, hey, we just landed at the airport. Is telephone chatter. What? Back in 1880, Mark Twain wrote an essay called A Telephonic <laughs> Conversation. This was just four years after Alexander Graham Bell presented his invention for the world to see and listen to. Who's that? Oh, I don't know. In this essay, Twain satirizes how one such conversation sounds to a third party who is only able to hear half of the conversation. Oh, I was thinking about getting some snacks or something. What drove him to write the essay in the first place is the reason so many of us find it annoying even to this day. Oh, yeah. How's she doing? As it turns out, our brains have the habit of anticipating what's going to happen. So even if we're aware of it or not, when we listen to someone talk, we're not actually absorbing that information, per se, or preparing our answer. Oh, well, tell her I said hi. But rather, we're trying to figure out what the person wants to say next. It's involuntary. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I really like that. And all of us do it. Mm -hmm. But when speech becomes unpredictable, Swordfish, with random words thrown in tomato, then our brains have a hard time anticipating Hammer. (laughs) No, no, I don't think we'll be there till Thursday. (laughs) What? And this is something that drives us hand sanitizer crazy. Oh, I'll stop by the store and get you some extra dish soap. This is the reason we find one-sided conversations on the phone so annoying. We can't predict what the person talking is going to say next. Okay. In at number two of the most annoying sounds in the world, bodily noises. These sounds can all be classified as disgusting, or at least annoying, by pretty much anyone. For instance, people living in the UK found bodily noises more annoying and disgusting than those living in South Africa, probably because of cultural differences. Likewise, older people also found them more disgusting, hinting at the idea that they were more accustomed to not hearing these sounds in public as often. Or it could mean that their sex drive is somewhat slowed down, which could also be because scientists are still debating the issue. Another reason could be that these sounds represent bodily secretions and excretions. And these things are often associated with pathogens and disease and might explain why people tend to feel disgust or even take evasive action when they hear them. And in, and number one on the most annoying sounds in the world, aside from my voice, the infamous brown note. If you're hearing this right now, we hope you're sitting on the toilet listening on your phone just as a precaution. This is a particular low sound frequency somewhere in between 5 to 9 hertz, which is below what a human can actually hear. But if the sound is loud enough, it can be felt in the body as a vibration. And as the name suggests, this particular frequency is said to make people poop their pants. That would be kind of annoying, right? The whole story behind the brown note came with the Republic XF-84H Thunder Screech airplane in 1955. 
This was an experimental aircraft powered by a turbine engine and a supersonic propeller, but since the propeller was giving out some 900 sonic boom blasts every minute, even when idling on the tarmac, it reportedly caused nausea, severe headaches, and even instant bowel movements for people who were standing around the plane. The project was discontinued as some crew members were seriously injured by shockwaves. The thunder screech was quite possibly the loudest airplane ever built, with people hearing it from some 25 miles away. Anyway, hearing of the possible nasty effects it had, countless experiments with low frequencies were performed over the years, but with no brown results reported. Even NASA looked into it as they feared that astronauts would possibly need a change of suits after liftoff into space. But the urban myth behind the brown note was born. But if it actually does exist, if someone decides to commercialize it somehow... Can you imagine what a kid could do with something like that in school or church on Sunday? (laughs) The possibilities are endless. And that, my friends, is the top 10 most annoying sounds in the world. For Our American Stories, I'm Jesse Edwards. Watching for you and for me Come home, come home Ye who are weary, come home Earnestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling Calling, oh sinner This is Our American Stories, and you're listening to Willie Nelson cover softly and tenderly. A few weeks ago, we did Rolling Stone's top 20 cover songs, and we promise you that we do our favorites today, and then one day we'll take your favorites. We're also going to ask songwriters, we're going to start to interview some of our best songwriters in America, we're going to ask them for their favorite covers as well. And Softly and Tenderly is a Christian hymn. Composed and written by Will L. Thompson in 1880. Allegedly, when evangelist Dwight L. Moody was in the hospital, barred from seeing visitors. Although Thompson had arrived, Moody insisted that Thompson be let in, whereupon Moody told him this. Will, I would rather have written softly and tenderly Jesus is calling than anything I am unable to do in my whole life. And I think Willie Nelson would agree. And that was one of Greg's favorite covers. And then the other, well, the original, Somewhere Over the Rainbow, by Judy Garland. Some place where there isn't any trouble. Do you suppose there is such a place, Toto? There must be. It's not a place you can get to by a boat or a train. It's 
far, far away, behind the moon, beyond the rain. That song was written by Harold Arlen, who, by the way, we've got to do an hour on his life. We could do an hour, actually, on how this song got written. There was a great article in New Yorker magazine about how this song came to be and how E.Y. Harburg, the lyricist, fixed it, because there was a problem in this song. And when you hear the story, you won't believe it. It's terrific. Judy Garland sang it in the movie, and it launched her into megastardom, one of the great first singing actresses. And now we've got... The cover that Greg likes the most. And Greg, how am I pronouncing this singer's name? What's what's his name? Don't ask me, ask Jesse. Jesse? Uh, I've got it written down here. Hold on. It's Israel Kamaka Vivo Ole. Is. Known as Is. <laughs> and here's his version. A demo session from 1988 that turned into a smash. two covers. And now we move to Jesse. I, I think it should be noted, though, that this song was done in one single take, yep. which is amazing. And then it disappeared for a while on a producer's table. Yeah. And then four or five years later, the session was played to someone else, and voila. They played it in the movie uh, Life is a House, uh, Life is House, something like that. And yep. And it exploded. Yeah. Well, now to Jesse's pick. <laughs> and the original song, well, it's known for its incredible saxophone riff. And it's Jerry Rafferty's 1978 smash hit, Baker Street. This song, which folks had come to know and love for that sax riff, well, that saxophone riff had actually been sort of lifted from a song called Half a Heart. And take a listen. This is Steve Marcus. 
close. It is darn close. <laughs> Back then, there wasn't intellectual property lawsuits, but today, oh my goodness, <laughs> that is a slam dunk. That's not the cover, though. Jerry Rafferty is not covering or stealing Steve Marcus's work. When we come back, you're starting to hear right now the beginnings of this cover, and it is Jesse's favorite. It's the Foo Fighters version, the guitar replacing the saxophone on Baker Street. More covers after these messages. This is Our American Stories. To David Allen Coe's recording, the original recording of a great song by Dean Dillon and Linda Hargrove. And Dean Dillon was one of George Strait's key writers and one of the great Nashville writers. And that's the original version. This is Jesse's number two. And we are doing our top cover songs. We did Rolling Stones a few weeks ago. Everybody loved it. And they said, What are yours? And by the way, we'll be asking you what yours are in our next version. And Jesse's favorite cover version. Of David Allen Coe's. And by the way, George Jones did a hell of a cover. But here is Chris Stapleton's more bluesy, countrified bluesy version of the song. Used to spend my nights out in the ballroom. But you rescued me from reaching for the bottom And brought me back Be it too far gone You're as smooth Tennessee whiskey
And there you have it. And Chris Stapleton's touring, opening for Guns N' Roses right now in some parts of the country. And that's a heck of a show. Now we're on to Alex's picks. Alex isn't here. This is painful, but we decided to play it and expose Alex's musical tastes. And they are what they are, folks. We're not judging. Britney Spears is toxic. Here it is. Baby, can't you see? I'm calling. A like you should wear a warning. It's dangerous. I'm fine. There's no escape. I can't wait. I need a hit. Baby, give me it. You're dangerous. I'm fine. Okay, I can't. I can't do anymore. That's very tough. Uh, but this is the cover song. Again, it's not the original he likes. It's the cover. And this is Local H, their version of Toxic. Baby, can't you see? I'm calling. A girl like you should wear a warning. It's dangerous. I'm falling. I can't wait, I need a hit, baby give me it, you're dangerous, I'm loving it. is one of his favorites. We got to give him a second chance we to redeem got, himself. We got to incorporate a gong here. It's just not fair. I, I think that's rough. That is rough. That is rough. The rest are a lot easier on the ears. <laughs> they are. Uh, let's take, by the way, I, this takes guts to cover this song. This is the original, and it's Robert Plant and Jimmy Page and John Bonham and company doing what they do best. This is Cashmere from Physical Graffiti. To stop playing yeah. that, I, actually, that actually is, I think, a radio crime to stop playing Cashmere. <laughs> but here's the cover: Maya Baisier's version, an Israeli-born American classical cellist. Here she is doing her version of the Zeppelin classic.
And now we go to Brother Joey. And Brother Joey, well, we're going to start off with the original. And you already know what it is. And how many songs, by the way, can you say that about after three hits of a snare? Billy Jean, Michael Jackson. And now for the cover, and it's the Civil Wars. And they were a band that was together for a brief time. By the way, John Paul White is the male vocalist here, and he's a heck of a talent. Let's take a listen to the Civil Wars cover. She was more like a beauty queen from a movie scene. Say, I don't mind me, but do you mean I am the one who dance on the floor? She said I'm the one who dance on the floor and around She told me her name was Billy Jean and she calls the same And every hair turned with eyes dreamed to be And there you have it, the Civil Wars version, their cover version of Michael Jackson's song. That is quite something, actually. We'll go out with that and continue with our American Stories cover songs, our rebuttal to Rolling Stones cover songs, the 20 best that we played only a few weeks ago. Be careful what you do, the lie calls the truth. Not my love. She just a girl claims her But the cat is not my son She says I But the cat is not my son For forty days, never forty nights, lost on her side. But who can stand when she's in demand? Her schemes and plans. Cause we danced on the floor and around. So take my strong advice. Just remember to always think twice. If I drove a truck And I were a waitress And I ordered coffee And I poured you some Then you'd stop by on your way sometimes later And if we arm wrestled, I'd see that you won I eat my baby, ride easy, ride high in the saddle all day 
you cook it ain't greasy. The chuck, the chuck wagon, and we'll ride away. If I were to win some And you're listening to Johnny and June Carter Cash. Baby Ride Easy. Originally written and recorded by Richard Dobson. This is John Wood's chance now for his covers. And we are doing our favorite covers. We did the Rolling Stones Top 20 a few weeks ago. Go to OurAmericanNetwork.org and take a listen. It was terrific. But we had certain songs and artists that we thought should have been there. I'm sure you do, too. We'll be looking for listeners' requests soon. This is John's favorite cover of that song. And let's take a listen. I drove a truck You were a waitress I ordered coffee You poured me some Then I'd stop by On my way somewhere later If we mud wrestled I'd see And that's Father John Misty, his version of the Johnny and June Carter Cash cover, Baby Ride Easy. Next up, the original John Lennon's Imagine. cover his favorite imagine covered by a perfect circle Living for 
Now, before we get to my favorite cover songs, I just wanted to play one or two from my favorite cover singer. And there are very few cover singers out there left, let alone that are famous and can pack houses. And if you ever get to see Joan Osborne as she tours around the country, do it. And let's take a listen to the original that she covered and made. And she just kills clubs with this. Aretha Franklin had a shot at this record and turned it down. Dusty Springfield did it. It was a big hit once. And then came Pulp Fiction. And that came off the album Dusty in Memphis, and that stack sound is right there. Let's take a listen to a live version of Joan Osborne. And when we come back after these messages, my favorite covers. This is Lee Habib. This is Our American Stories. Cover songs for the hour. documentary about the band that recorded almost all the music for all of the great Motown records and the singer they chose this band to close out this show in Detroit was none other than Joan Osborne there's a terrific documentary on it let's take a listen to the original version of what becomes of the broken hearted and this by Jimmy Ruffin
And when we come back, you're going to hear Joan Osborne's cover of this song and then my few favorites of all time. Cover songs here on Our American Stories, our favorites, the crew's favorites. More after these messages. We're listening to Joan Osborne closing out the spectacular documentary. And it's the legendary band, the Funk Brothers, that played almost all the great Motown classics for all of those great singers. Let's take a listen to the way Joan closed things out with these old timers. And that's Joan Osborne, one of the great cover singers in this country. And I've had the privilege of seeing her so many times. And now we get to my three favorite covers and my favorite songwriter in the world, Bruce Springsteen. Well, this one he wrote for Patti Smith. But here's his version. Take me now, baby, here's I am. Pull me close, child, understand. Desire's hunger is a fire I breathe Love is a banquet on which we feed Come on now, try and understand
but it was Patti Smith who, in 1978, made this a smash hit, and it launched her career to the to the world. Here it is. Take me now, baby, here as I am. Pull me close, try and understand. Desire is hunger, is the fire I breathe. Love is a banquet on which we feed. By the way, Bruce also wrote Pink Cadillac for a pretty good singer and Fire for some pretty good singers. He loved writing R&B for women and African-American women, no less. And now one of the classics from Broadway, a song called Summertime from the classic opera, George Gershwin, Porgy and Bess. Let's take a listen to the original. Voices were what theater voices sounded like back then. Very affected. Wouldn't exactly pass for musical theater today. But Gershwin's lyrics, Stephen Sondheim, perhaps the greatest lyricist in the history of Broadway, said, those are the best lyrics ever written in the musical theater. Listen to Sam Cooke handle these same words. A very different and more stirring version. Summertime Are jumping and cotton is high. Your dad is rich and your ma is good looking. So hush, little baby. Very different version. Very different version. Now, I think we're going to add one more to this mix because Jesse just called it out. I want to play Otis Redding's original version of a song he wrote, 
that a lot of people don't know was his song because somebody else made it much more famous. Let's take a listen to Otis Redding, one of the great soul singers of the late 1960s. when Aretha Franklin got her hands on it. And that made the Franklin fortune, but it also made Otis Redding's family a whole lot of money, too, because he was the writer of record. And last but not least, my favorite cover song, because it's my bride's. And let's go with the original, a band I'm not too crazy about, nor is she, but one that's popular. And it's Chris Martin, it's Coldplay, and it's The Scientist. out our favorite cover songs the crew's favorite cover songs on our american stories with willie nelson's recent and stirring rendition of this chris martin song Science apart 
said it was easy It's such a shame for us to part Nobody said it was easy No one ever said it would be this hard Oh, take me back to the start And we close things out Our favorite cover songs, next time it's yours. This is Lee Habib. This is Our American Stories. Our American Stories.